We come this morning to uh, continuing the story of Jacob, the saga of his life. Let me invite you to turn to chapter 32 in the book of Genesis. Now, I'm no, I'm no poker expert. I'm not a fan of poker. I'm not condoning gambling when I mention this. Just to try to cover all my bases here. <clears throat> but um, I- I'm told that in poker, it is possible to have two pair, a hand of two pair. I'm told it's impossible, this is pretty obvious, to have three pair. You only get five cards in, in the game. But um, apparently in some variations, I uh, think here maybe Texas Hold'em, maybe you all know better than I do, uh, it is possible to have three pair. It's possible to have three pair of cards. I don't know all the details of it. You can tell me afterwards. But, um, well, we come to a text this morning that does the impossible uh, compared to poker. It actually has four pair. We come to a text that has four pair. Four pair, four pair of camps. It's, uh, it will be, I suppose, a pretty good poker hand if you can get it. Uh, I think there might be some uh, underhanded dealing at the card table. Might want to go away from that uh, that, that hand if somebody gets eight cards. But um, we come here to, to a God who deals out four pair to Jacob. And we'll see how he, uh, he responds. It's not just the hand that he's dealt, it's the hand he's made. Let's come and read the first 21 verses. The, the less famous part of this chapter, we'll come next week to the more famous uh, wrestling episode, the battle du jour. Um, but um, we come here to the camp scene. Beginning in verse 1, we'll read through verse uh, verse 21. Let me remind you that this is not just the word of Moses, not just God's word. Uh, it is a word that's meant for you. It's a word that's meant for us. So let's receive it like that. We're told that uh, Jacob went on his way and the angels of God met him. And when Jacob saw them, he said, this is God's camp. So he called the name of that place Mahanaim. And Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother, in the land of Seir, the country of Edom, instructing them, thus you shall say to my lord Esau, thus says your servant Jacob, I have sojourned with Laban and stayed until now. I have oxen, donkeys, flocks, male servants and female servants. I've sent to tell my lord in order that I may find favor in your sight. And the messengers returned to Jacob saying, we came to your brother Esau and he's coming to meet you. And there are 400 men with him. Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. He divided the people who were with him and the flocks and herds and camels into two camps, thinking if Esau comes to the one camp and attacks it, then the camp that's left will escape. And Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O Lord who said to me, return to your country and to your kindred that I may do you good. I'm not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. With only my staff, I crossed this Jordan and now I have become two camps. Please deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him that he may come and attack me, the mothers with the children. But you said, I will surely do you good and make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. So Jacob stayed there that night. And from what he had with him, he took a present, an offering for his brother Esau. 200 female goats and 20 male goats, 200 ewes and 20 rams, 30 milking camels and their calves, 40 cows and 10 bulls, 12 female donkeys and 10 male donkeys. These he handed over to his servants every drove by itself and said to his servants, 
pass on ahead of me and put a space between drove and drove. He instructed the first, when Esau, my brother, meets you and asks you, to whom do you belong? Where are you going? And whose are these ahead of you? Then you shall say, they belong to your servant Jacob. They're an offering, a present sent to my Lord Esau, and moreover, he's behind us. He likewise instructed the second and the third and all who followed the droves. You shall say the same thing to Esau when you find him, and you shall say, moreover, your servant Jacob is behind us. For he thought, I may appease him with the present that goes ahead of me, and afterward I shall see his face. Perhaps he will accept me. So the present passed on ahead of him, and he himself stayed that night in the camp. That's in the reading of God's word. Let's pray and ask him to reveal more of himself to us through this word. Father, we come before your face. We ask that you would not only accept us, but that you would instruct us. You use this word as a word for training, for discipline, for correction, and ultimately, Lord, we might grow up into Jesus Christ, our older brother. We ask this in his name. Amen. Well, we come to four pair. Four pair of what? We come to four pair, a text that gives us four pair of camps. This place is called verse two, where Jacob is. He's been fleeing. He's, he's left Laban. Laban gone, out of the scene, never again to be mentioned. But now Jacob has to go into the promised land. He has to face Esau. And we're told he comes to a place, Mahanaim. It means, your footnote even tells you, two camps. That's really, this is a story about all sorts of two camps, all pairs of camps. What are the camps? Well, there, there are two obvious camps right at the very beginning. There's Jacob's camp. and verse 2, there's God's camp. That's one pair of camps. The camp of Jacob and the camp of these angels, the camp of God. But later on, we'll find that Jacob separates. He makes two camps of his own. So he has two camps. He has his animals and family and friends into two different camps. He makes halvesies. So here in that pair, Jacob has two camps. And then third, we of course have the camp of Jacob and the camp of Esau. Right there you have three pairs on earth. We'll find there's a fourth pair at the very end. But first, we'll look at the three kind of obvious pairs. Three kind of obvious pairs. And we'll see that in the interplay of these camps, all these different camps coming together, we'll see that Jacob's life is pretty complicated. That's good news, I think, for you, because your life, like my life, is pretty complicated. You live on different levels. Jacob is living here on different levels, really four different levels. That's why there's four pairs. And you need all of your complicated life to be spoken to, just like Jacob needed all of his life and his complications and his weirdness and his humanity spoken to. So we come to these camps, and I suppose if you want to look at the first camp, we'll look right here at the camp of the angels in the camp of Jacob, what I'll call for us the defense camp, the camp of defense. The camp of defense. We see here in verse 1 that Jacob, look there, Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God met him. The angels of God met Jacob. Now this is the second time that Jacob has a supernatural encounter. Jacob will have three supernatural encounters. He saw the first, right, with the Bethel, the ladder, the staircase, the ziggurat, the angels of Bethel and the ladder, the stairway. 
Next week, we'll see the third one. Jacob wrestling with God at Peniel. Very famous. This one is way less famous. Everybody loves the ladder. Everybody loves the wrestling. People kind of skip over this part. But it is an experience. He has it. Verse 2, when Jacob saw them, what does he say? This is God's camp. Now, these are, these are the angels, actually, who had met him when he was leaving. That's why they were at Bethel. They met him when he was leaving the promised land, and now he's coming, he's coming back 20 years later. He's coming back home. He's fixing to return, and they're here. They're camped out. I don't know if they've been camping for 20 years. Probably not. But why are they here? Why did he meet him? He needs reassurance. He needs reassurance. He needs to be reminded that God is still with him. Jacob is finally coming back to that promised land, the land of promise. He's finally beginning to see God's blessing and God's promises come to fruition. But he's not there yet. He has the covenant people, but he doesn't have the covenant land, the covenant place. He has the people of God, but not the place of God. So the question is, is God actually going to be with him still? And the answer is yes. He says, this is God's camp. Now, let me clear up a very important, very important thing. This word camp does not mean a camp out. My wife and I had the privilege of a little camping trip this last week, and we had a good time. The dog got to go in the lake. She liked it. <clears throat> we camped out. Great. We had a tent. Wonderful. This is not a camp out. This word camp is not, you know, going to uh, backpacking and hiking or, or whatever you think. It's not kayaking on the Jordan River. This is a military word. This is an encampment. This is not a camping trip. This is a soldier army in the field. This is an army in the field prepared for battle. They're camping to fight. So we see here these angels. I don't know how many there were. Maybe there were hundreds. Maybe there were thousands. Maybe there were only ten. I don't know how many, but Jacob sees these heavenly beings and they look like a mighty army. There are probably quite a few. Why are they here? For some reason, God's army is just camped out in the middle of nowhere, right in the border of the promised land, Mahanaim, ready for battle. I think John Calvin has it right. He says this, God is placing his visible protection before the eyes of Jacob. God is showing Jacob what he's actually been doing the last 20 years. This is nothing new. God has been protecting Jacob with angels for 20 years. He has been with Jacob when he was slaving away for Laban. He has been with Jacob when Jacob was planning and scheming. He has been with Jacob when, when Jacob had dysfunctional family strife between Leah and Rachel and all their baby battles. He has been with Jacob the entire time. That was his promise. If you remember back at Bethel, remember what God said to Jacob? 28, 15, behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. God has been with Jacob. He's been with him, but something different here. The difference is that Jacob now sees the protection. He sees the bodyguards. He sees the people who have been following him. God, for a moment, unveils reality, the real reality. For a moment, God peels back the curtain 
and he shows to Jacob what's been true his whole life, what was previously invisible. It's very similar in, in one sense to the prophet Elijah, his servant. You recall the story, perhaps? The servant's terrified of the enemy. The enemy army is fixing to take him out. And Elijah prays, open the eyes of my servant. And God shows the young man, the hills are alive, not with the sound of music, but with the chariots of fire. Protecting, protecting. And if that's true for Jacob, it's true for you. You have these two camps in your life. You just don't see them. You have these two camps in your life. This is true of every Christian. In our lives, there are two camps. There are two realities that are always present. There is the reality by, by sight that you look around and you see. I'm living, I'm moving, I'm eating, I'm drinking. But there is the reality that's unseen. We'll actually look at it tonight in Hebrews 11 as well. But there's a presence watching over you every day. Not creepily, not, not, not creepily. It's a protecting presence. You cannot see God with your eyes, but he is there. His angels are just as real now as they were when Jacob saw them, keeping us and protecting us. It's Psalm 134. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear them. I mean, do you believe that? Do you believe that you are defended? Do you believe that Zion is protected? Do you believe that God is present? Not just to look at you and see you when you're bad but to actually defend you from the evil that can harm you. That's the first camp, if you will, the, the, the first pair, I suppose, the pair of camps, protection, defense. Second pair, you might call it danger. Beginning in verse 3, of course, it's the camp of Esau and the camp of Jacob, the obvious camps, I suppose. The threat, the dangerous pair of camps. 20 years have passed since Jacob last saw Esau. Saw Esau. I'll try to avoid doing that again. 20 years have passed. Esau's last recorded words were back in chapter 27. You remember his last recorded words? I will kill my brother Jacob. The last words of Esau are murder. When I see him, I will kill him. Jacob's been thinking about those words for 20 years. 20 years. You recall that Esau did not get the blessing of his father Isaac. Jacob and Rebekah connived and were cunning. And so now Esau has murder in his heart. The years have passed. Jacob has had no word. His mom, Rebekah, has not sent word. He doesn't know. As far as he knows, Esau is still angry. Jacob has no idea what posture Esau will be in when he gets there. Now, just a little geography note here. Jacob didn't have to meet Esau. He could get into Israel, he could get into Canaan, plenty of ways. There were several routes you can get into. He can go north. Esau is living in the south region, and we're told in a place called Seir. That's about 75 miles to the south of the Jabbok River. Jacob could have gone a different route, but he knew he couldn't live in peace with the threat of Esau. He needed to face him. So the question is, how will he introduce himself to Esau? Is he going to say, hey, buddy? 20 years, water under the bridge, right? No big deal. We see that he rehearses, beginning in verse 3, how he will approach Esau. He instructs them. He sends messengers. He instructs them. He says, here's what you need to say. Call Esau my Lord. Say, I'm your servant. 
Have those words ever crossed the mouth of Jacob before? This is not a guy who, lo- who likes other people being lord over him. This is not a guy who likes to say, I'm your slave. He had to for Laban. He had to. This is not a man who likes to admit that Esau, the older, is superior. And even the words used here about where Esau lives are dangerous words. They're scary words for Jacob. Esau lives in the place called Seir, Hebrew. That means health, uh, that means hairy. Esau, the hairy guy, the beast, lives in a place called Harry. He's in the country of Edom, which means red. Esau is still living a red, hairy, brutish, animalistic life, it seems like. God's reminding Jacob of the fact that Esau still seems like the kind of guy who would kill you. He's living in hairy cities in Redland. And that's why Jacob will send presents. He'll send oxen. He'll send donkeys. He'll send a starter kit of all types of animals to Esau. He's not claiming the birthright. He's not looking for money. He's not trying for a handout. He's willing to say, I'm a servant. And what's the reply? Verse four, or verse six. The reply, in fact, is, is worse than all the messages that Jacob sends. The reply is really scary. The messengers returned to Jacob saying, he came to your brother Esau. He's coming to meet you. Oh, by the way, he has 400 men. That was the amount of men you kind of had in one, uh, one brigade or one, one group of soldiers enough to fight. Enough to scare Jacob to death. But is it a good? Is it a good thing that Esau's coming to meet him? Is it a bad thing that Esau's coming to meet him? We don't know. We don't know. Jacob thinks scarily, his guilty conscience, he's afraid, he's distressed. He's in danger, he's in peril. And then he makes the third pair of camps. But but before he does, we need to realize that the fact that there's Jacob and Esau, the second pair of camps, that's also your life on this earth as a Christian. Do you realize that there's a threatening army, the scary army that's coming against you? Do you realize that there are still two camps in this world? There are two basic camps that are opposed to one another. There are Jacob camps and there are Esau camps. Of course, we call them, right, the camp of the righteous and the camp of the wicked or the camp of the Lord and the camp of the evil one, the children of the devil and the children of the Lord. There are two camps in this world. Do you know there are two camps? There's an opposition not everybody can get along. They're the children of God, and the children of the devil. That's why God says, I'll put enmity. The great gospel promise includes opposition. I'll put enmity between Esau's kids, the serpent's kids, and Jacob's kids, your kids. That's why the church in this world is called the church militant. Because there is trouble, there is danger, there is peril in this life. Now, what's Jacob's response to this peril, to this danger? It's partly in verse 7. And verse 8, it's also uh, afterwards. But look at 7 and 8 here. He, he makes the third pair of camps. It's his own camps. He does, if you want to uh, have a word for this pair of camps, it's the planned or the deliberate camps. Jacob deliberates. He plans. He thinks about it. He's scared out of his mind. He's distressed. 
He divides everybody into two groups. This is his, this is his best case scenario. This tells you how bad he really is. That this, His best plan is split us up so half of us can get killed and the other half can run away. That's not a great plan. That's not a great plan at all. I mean, even he doesn't really believe it when he, when he prays. He, he, he knows he, he can't really do much. We'll see later on here that he, he, beginning in verse 13, he has one other part to his plan. His plan is, I'm going to present Esau to death. I'm going to give Esau so many things, he'll have to be nice to me. I'm going to love bomb him with all the stuff I have. He sends goats and sheep and camels and donkeys. He sends 600 animals in all. You'll notice, of course, as I mentioned before, he, he sends... A starter kit. He's in enough to keep the flocks going, male and female. It's a bribe of enormous impact. And more importantly, he spaces them just enough apart for maximum response. And five times the same message is given. Verse 18. He tells everybody, here's what you should say. When you meet Esau, just say these words. These belong to your servant, Jacob. They're a present sent to my Lord Esau, and he's behind us. He's coming to meet you. Now, everybody everybody in the, in the, in the uh, commentaries is divided over this, this plan. Is it a good plan? Is it a bad plan? I've already maybe given you my, my take on it a little bit, my hint. Uh, some, but, but some folks are very positive. You know, Jacob here is being wise. He's planning. He's being uh, deliberate. He's being prudent. You know, don't just pray, do something. Get yourself out of a sticky situation. Another half of scholars are maybe a little more negative, very negative actually about it. You know, Jacob is still scheming, he's still planning. He's still relying on his own wits. And he says he's coming at the very end, behind. Is that a cowardly thing or is that a clever thing? How do we decide? Is Jacob right? Is he wrong? Should we be planning when we're in trouble or should we be praying when we're in trouble? Part of the answer, of course, is both. But in this case, I don't know the answer. I, I lean toward the negative. I tend to think that what we have here is a Jacob who's too clever by half. And a Jacob who will be broken next week when he wrestles with God. But, but, but regardless of whether you think it's good or bad, this third pair of two camps was completely ineffective. It was irrelevant. It was unnecessary. Why? Because from all that we've seen, this is the key point, God has gone before Jacob. God has gone before Jacob and he has changed Esau's heart. He has already changed Esau's heart. Esau does not run and love on Jacob next chapter because of the gifts. No, He's not going to be bribed into being brothers. So while it's true that we need to plan in life, obviously we need to plan in life. But while it's true, you're given a brain to think in life. I don't think the, the point of this passage is to tell you plan, plan better. Plan really carefully. That's not the, there are plenty of places in the Bible that tell you that. This passage is telling you that your confidence may never, can never rest in your planning, but rest in the God who oversees all planning, the God whose plans never fail, the God who goes before you and the God who goes with you and the God who goes back of you, behind you.
So we come to the final point of the, of the whole the whole chapter, the final point of the whole the whole story here, and it's the part we haven't talked about. It's the fourth pair of camps. The heart of the passage, verse 9 to verse 12. It's the camp of Jacob's heart and the camp of heaven. It's the camp of prayer. These are prayer camps. It's the camp where Jacob is fearful of Esau. It's the camp where Jacob is scared out of his wits. It's the camp where Jacob, all of his planning, he doesn't know what to do. He admits that in this prayer. Verse 11, please deliver me from the hand of my brother. I really can't do it. And it's the camp of heaven. It's the encampment of God on its throne, the king of glory, receiving the prayers of his people. These are the camps that you and I need to know about. This is the longest prayer, by the way, in the book of Genesis. You may know that. There's so much we could learn here. We could even just spend a whole couple of weeks on this prayer. We won't. But it's important to know for the first time in the book of Genesis, for the first time in Jacob's story, Jacob prays. Let me highlight a couple of things about his prayer. Verse 9. He starts off, he says this. God, you're my dad's God. You're Isaac's God. You're my granddad's God. You're Abraham's God. You're also the God who's spoken to me. You said, come back home. I'm going to do you good. But what is he doing here? He is rehearsing and claiming the covenant of grace. He's rehearsing and claiming God's great promises. He's rehearsing and claiming God's consistent character in prayer. He's repeating and replaying. He's going back and uh, reviewing who God is. He's reminding God. Not that God doesn't know, but God wants us to know as we pray to him. He reminds God of his command. You said to me, return to your country. He reminds him of his promise. Jacob's saying, I'm here. I'm here, but I don't know what to do. I'm here because I'm obedient, but I don't know what to do. I'm here because I'm your, I'm your servant. I don't know how to get out of the situation. I'm here. I'm pleading your promise back to you. Do you understand this is the way you ought to pray as a Christian? When you come to God in prayer, what ought we to say? I'm trying. I'm stumbling. I want to serve my master. I don't know how to do it. That's a powerful prayer. When you pray God's grace back to him, you pray rightly. It is impossible to pray wrongly in that situation. When you pray who God is back to him, and then what does he say? Verse 10. He says, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love. You know, I just cry. I just came out here. I have my staff. I didn't, I didn't have a pillow. And you've made me so big that I can make two huge camps. You've prospered me. He thinks of all his pettiness, all his envying, all his cheating. He humbles himself before God. He says, I don't deserve a thing from you. And he says, you've been kind to me. Notice the order here. He begins with God. He adores who God is. He reads God's promises back to him. He recalls the history of God's dealing with him. He looks himself. What does he find in himself? He does not find mighty Jacob. He does not find prosperous Jacob. He finds unworthy Jacob. He finds humble Jacob. He finds servant Jacob. He finds Jacob who's only good because God said God's made him that way. And then he turns thirdly in this prayer 
And he asked something. He says, please deliver me from the hand of my brother. Now notice his basis for making this statement. He gives it in the last verse. It's a really touching note. Verse 12. You said, I will make your offspring as the sand of the sea. I will make all your descendants like the sand of the sea. Where had God said that before? He had said it not to Jacob. He said it to Abraham on Mount Moriah. Jesus 22. When baby Isaac's life, when little kid Isaac's life was saved. And Isaac had, had remembered that tra- traumatic incident in his life, obviously. And he had told Jacob the story of how God saved his life. And God promised, I will make your descendants like the sand of the sea. What is Jacob doing? Jacob ends his prayer, the very basis for his trust that God can deliver him is to quote the words of the promises. He uses the old promises. He claims the great promise. And that's, of course, your story. I mean, this is not just a model of how to pray. This is a model of how to live as a Christian. And do you see that if you're not a Christian, you have nothing of this? Do you see that if if you're not in Christ, you can't claim any of this? You can't claim any of this at all. And so what do you have? You don't have these two camps. You don't have this fourth pair of camps. You can't go to God in his throne room and say, God of my fathers, God who's promised to be good to me, help me in this time. You can't do that. But if you are a Christian, do you see what you have? Do you see what you have in him? How complicated Jacob's life is. How difficult his life is. He has all these pairs of camps. He has all these issues. And how complicated your lives are. You live in two camps. You live in earth. You live in heaven. Right now, you are in heaven. Right now, you're on earth. Do you know that? Do you live like that? And right now, we live in a dangerous encampment. We live in a world of danger. We live attacked by ourselves. We live attacked by Satan. We live attacked by the world. But there is defense from God. There is protection from God. There is the presence of God. His angels are encamped around us. In your life and in my life, there is peril from the soldiers of the evil one. There is danger from the sins that we face, but there is deliverance, there is defense, there is protection from God himself. Do you know that? And in your life and in my life, like Jacob, there is fear. You see the last thing he says here? In verse 20, he actually didn't say it. He thinks it. Moses tells his thoughts. For for Jacob thought, I may appease him with the pre-ethah, with the present that goes after me, ahead of me, and afterward I will see his face. Perhaps he will accept me. That's how most of us live with God. Jacob lives with Esau, and he thinks, I can bribe him, and perhaps, perhaps he will accept me. Maybe he'll take me. When I go before his face, maybe he'll take me. That's how you live. Most of us live our lives day in, day out with God. I offer him my, you know, Sunday morning, I offer him a little present here or there. You know, if you're really nice, you maybe you space out all your all the stuff you have, and you separate it into five, five things, and you kind of offer it one day a week to God, and you're like, wow, I'm really good. Don't do that. Um, but that's how most of us live, right? That's how, that's how we live. We live af- afraid of God and worried he won't take it, worried he won't accept us, worried that when we come before his face on the last day, perhaps at best he maybe will sort of, kind of accept us, like Jacob. Like Jacob before Esau. But do you know that all your life you've been protected by God? 
the God you're scared of, the God you're not even sure of? Do you know all your life you've been protected by God? All your life you've been defended by him. All your life his promises have washed over you. So there's fear, but there's faith. There's fear, but there's faith. That's why you have to have the last pair of camps, the fourth pair. The pair you can't get in any hand of poker. You got to take it to God. When you're worried about your acceptance with him, you got to take it to him. You got to take it to the Lord in prayer. As the old hymn goes, you got to bring your complicated, messy, difficult life into his throne room. That Jacob has no idea what will happen. He has no idea what will happen this, this night, the same night. He has no idea that, that he's going to wrestle with God. And you don't either know. You, you don't know what's going to happen this week. But you do know this, that all shall be well. All shall be well by faith for the saints of God. All should be well. So come to him. Bring your complicated issues, your questions to him, your fear of him to him in prayer. Let's do that now. Let's pray. Almighty God, as we come to your table, we thank you that you were able to give to us not just many promises, not just even many great promises, but you were able to give to us your own son. You are able to give to us your own son because of what he's done for us. His body broken, his blood shed on our behalf. I pray that as we live in fear, as we live in faith, as we are divided, as we plan and scheme, that above all else we would pray, we would come to you. For we ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.